This morning's reading comes from Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. With all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Welcome to week two of Long Story Short. If you missed last weekend, I would uh, encourage you to go and uh, get onto the website and have a listen to uh, last week. We talked about the first incident of creation. Let there be light. We're going to need to pick up the pace a little bit to get through the whole Bible in 13 weeks. But here's one of the good things about last weekend was it was the realization of how much can be packed into even the most seemingly simple statements in Scripture. So last weekend, God created. After he created light, there was then everything else. Uh, So there was land and water and trees and insects and animals. And the crowning achievement of his uh, creation was human beings, was Adam and Eve. And he looked at it and he said it was very good. It took humans a couple of chapters to mess everything up. God had given Adam and Eve inexhaustible resources and an abundance of food. They had everything at their fingertips, but they reached for the one thing that God had told them to stay away from. And at that moment, everything fell apart. But it's interesting because even in that moment, God made the first move. He walked into the garden and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, it's not that God didn't know where they were. But when you've done something that you shouldn't have done, and you hear that voice, it makes you think, oh, Adam, where are you? He extended unexpected grace when he made clothes for them out of fur to cover their shame and their nakedness. And he offered them a strange promise. He said that one day the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. That brings us to our text today in Genesis 12. But before we jump into that, there's quite a lot in 11 chapters of Genesis. And there's a lot of quite difficult and uncomfortable stuff that happens in those 11 chapters. There's the first recorded murder. There's a worldwide catastrophic flood because God couldn't stand the evil of humanity and decided to start again. God removed the hand of protection from one person. So all of a sudden, we are already confronted with big questions. Why does a good God allow bad things to happen to good people? Did God really regret making humanity? And if so, how how are we supposed to process that? What do we do with that? Why in the world would God ever ask somebody to do something that we think is morally wrong? What do you do when you run into places in the Bible that you don't like and you don't understand? Well, that's another sermon series just in its own there. But hard questions are going to come up all the way through this and all the way through reading the Bible and life. So what do we do when we get to those points? 
where there's hard stuff and difficult stuff and we're not really sure what to do. Well, the first thing I want to suggest is that we keep the big story in focus. Keep the whole of the story of God in view when we are wrestling with the things that we don't really like and we don't really understand. And what we're trying to do in these 13 weeks is to show the whole story of of God in the world and his work and his character, his grace and his wrath, his jealousy and his love, his justice and his mercy, and all the other stuff that makes up God's character. Because these things work in harmony together. So when you get to those places that are hard to understand, we need to look at the whole story and the whole of God's character. There's a principle of biblical interpretation that says, let Scripture interpret Scripture. And over the course of these uh, next weeks, we're hoping to give you some tools uh, to help with that. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to do it in community. To, to study with other people. This uh, long story short series is not meant to be tackled on your own. We're not meant to wrestle with the difficult and dangerous uh, things of Scripture by ourselves. So talk to other people about it. Join in the Bible study group or start a group with a few friends to talk through some of these things. And not just in community with other people. Ask God, always ask God, Holy Spirit, to be part of that process with you. Because the same spirit that inspired the writers of the Bible will illuminate their words to us today. Sometimes when I get to those bits that are really difficult, I I just pray, you know, Holy Spirit, will you help me to understand this? And sometimes he does. And sometimes I go away none the wiser. Because it's difficult, (laughs) you know. There are not always clear, straightforward, easy answers, at least not the kind that I would like. But we still invite Holy Spirit into that process. Finally, try and get some uh, different perspectives. Get some help. Go to some resources. I know some of you are already doing all of those things and are still confused by some of the things that you read in Scripture. The reality is the story doesn't change. There's still a flood that we have to deal with. There's all kinds of difficult things in the Bible that we have to come to grips with. But I think there is actually a degree of simplicity on the far side of complexity. And what we hope to do in these next weeks is to help us to get a little closer to that place. So today we jump into this second inciting incident, that that change of things, the promise Last weekend, I said that God is bigger than big, and he is closer than close. And I believe that statement is still true of this incident that we're thinking about today. God's promises are bigger than anything we could ever imagine or hope for, and his promises exist in categories that we don't even really have or understand. But the way that he fulfills them is usually in the most personal and intimate way possible. And so, in in Genesis 12, we had uh, the the story, go, it said, God, uh, to Abram, leave your country, your family, your father's home for the land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and those who curse you are cursed and all families on earth will be blessed through you. But promises are funny things. Promises are meant to inspire hope. They create Uh, categories of expectation. 
They come with a certainty that something will actually happen. It will come to pass. Promises are promising. One of the things, of course, that you discover about promises is that they're really only as good as the person making the promise. The content of a promise really isn't as important as the character of the promise maker. Now, when I was a child, my grandpa promised to make me a fort. I had lots of little airfix toy soldiers, and I played with them for hours and hours and hours. But a fort, well, that gives you something to focus on. It means that I could take my favorites and have them defend it at all costs. Or I could more likely attack it with everything I had. You know, a fort, oh, what a great thing to have. And so we talked about what it would look like and what should be in it. And I waited and I waited and I waited. My grandpa went to heaven many years ago and I never quite got my fort. I'm not knocking him for that. He was a very fine man who made up for the lack of a fort in many other ways. But sometimes we find that the promise is delayed. My children got an early learning center fort because I was convinced they weren't going to miss out on one. Sometimes the promise is only fulfilled years after it's given and not in the way imagined. Because let me tell you, I played with that fort with them. And sometimes even when they were not there, That's what happens in our story. Our reading comes at a fascinating moment in human history because all three world religions point to this moment as the starting point. Judaism, Islam, and Christianity all point to Abraham and say, he's our guy. He's the founder. He's the beginning. And and point to this moment and say, it's where it all started. So wherever you are this weekend in your faith journey, Maybe you don't know what you believe about Jesus or you don't know uh, much about Christianity. You definitely don't know what you think about the church. I want to encourage you that the story we're looking at today is worth paying attention to because it is of profound significance to so many people across the world. And that, if nothing else, should pique our interest. So God said, go to a land that I will show you. We need to pause and think about the significance of that piece of land for a moment. Because I think a lot of times we tend to think that faith is something, and you know, it's kind of internal. It's my faith. Or it's kind of mystical. It's not often that we think about it as tangible, physical. And yet, here is a call to him, go to this particular place. And when we look at the land of Canaan that God called him to, It's on that bridge between Asia and Africa. To the south, you have the kingdom of Egypt. To the north and east, civilizations of Mesopotamia. God called his people to the crossroads of the ancient world. Whoever controlled that piece of land controlled the spread of news and ideas and commerce. And that's why so often we see battles to and fro throughout history. Of course, even in these days, we know it is an incredibly significant piece of land. 
As a friend of mine would say, the great question for the people of God in the Old Testament was, would they be obedient at the crossroads? When they got to that place, would they trust God? And what we see is if they were obedient at those crossroads, they flourished. But when they were disobedient, they were exiled or occupied. I think that's, I hope that's helpful to us because it helps to see, as I say, that dance, that flow of people in and out of the area through the story of God's people. But I also mention it because I think it's a question that's significant for us today. For all of us who are part of the Barclay Fewforth Church family in Edinburgh, we stand at a crossroads in the capital of information and technology, of culture and politics, of international affairs. More locally, we are to unite with four other congregations. And the question for us is, will we be obedient at the crossroads? For you who are listening online, part of our extended family, wherever you are, whatever crossroads of life that you are at, are you going to be obedient in that place at that crossroads? You see, I think God puts his people in specific places for specific reasons, for specific seasons. He says to Abram, you'll be a great nation. And actually, when you read it, that's, that's weird because he doesn't have any family. There are no children. He and Sarah have not been able to have children. She's too old. He's 75. God says, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And finally, God promises this legacy. Through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Through you, all the families of earth. It's ridiculous. I mean, what, what absolute nonsense it is to imagine that. This man has no land, he has no inheritance, he has no family, and yet God promises that through him, everybody is going to be blessed. Who on earth is this God and what on earth is he doing? Because when we look at Abram, all that we know about him when when we first read of him uh, in Scripture is that his name is Abram, A-B-R-A-M, and that means exalted father. Later, we'll find that God changes his name to Abraham, which means father of many. Both things are important in the story because we discover that that Abraham or Abram is both of those. He lives up to his names. But he wasn't a Christian. He wasn't even a Jew. He was most likely pagan. He most likely worshipped the um, the moon god or maybe a family deity, as was the custom in that area at that time. There's no evidence from anything that we see or read that Abraham knew God. He's not a worshipper of God. He's not a seeker of God. It seems as if he's done nothing to get God's attention or to gain God's favor, and yet God still shows up and offers him an invitation to be part of his story. What I see here is that God steps in and offers an invitation based on his purposes, not Abram's perfection. If you don't hear anything else today, I hope you hear this. God always makes the first move. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter how far you have drifted. God extends an invitation to you based on his purposes, not your perfection. 
There's nothing we can do to make ourselves look good enough to gain the attention of God. The lineage of Jesus alone bears this out. When you look at the people that are in his line, it's full of liars and cheaters and murderers and adulterers and swindlers. It's about God's purposes, not our perfection. I'm really grateful that the folk that we read of in the Bible are shown with all of their flaws because I can relate to that. God extends his invitation based on his purposes, not our perfection. And even at that moment, Abram still doesn't get his life cleaned up. What we, what we read is that he lies about his wife, pretending that uh, she's his sister. And then he, he has a child with her servant. Maybe it's time that we stop trying to be perfect, to clean up our mess, to leave that to God, and simply respond to his invitation to follow him. His invitation is based on his purposes, not our perfection. But then Abraham had to make a choice to let go of every anchor of his identity, his land, his people, his future, his inheritance. God says, let go of all of that and follow me. Abraham had to make a choice and it came at a cost. He had to go to a place that he'd never seen based on the direction of a God who he'd never met. He had to take a step, and I would offer that it was a step of courage, not of certainty. A step of courage, not of certainty. It was a God that he'd never met, telling him to go to a place he'd never seen, and God wasn't even giving him directions yet. He had to take a step of obedience based on courage, not on certainty. He wasn't certain of where he was going Peter wasn't certain that he could walk in water. Esther wasn't certain that she could save her people. Daniel wasn't certain that he would come out of the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego weren't certain that they would survive the fiery furnace. Paul wasn't certain that he would survive the trip to Jerusalem. But they all went. Not because they were certain of the outcome, but because they had the courage to trust God. And so my question for us today is, is this. Is God calling us to do something that we've not been obedient to because we are waiting on certainty when he's asking us to act and courage? Maybe it's a decision to be part of a trip to Uganda. Maybe it's about joining a Bible study group or starting your own group to study together. Maybe it's about getting involved in something that's happening in the church. Or maybe it's just about following Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's about how you give or how you invest your finances. Maybe today his word to you is to stop waiting on certainty and step out in courage. I want to be clear, I think the most important decisions in life should be the most informed decisions. And that's why we do things like the Alpha Course, a course that's, that's a practical introduction to the Christian faith that allows people to bring all of their questions. No question is too big or too small. No question is too impertinent. We want people to have all of the information they can possibly have to get all of the answers that they can possibly get because that's important when you're trying to make a decision about what to do with Jesus. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how well we do that. There is no certainty that we can give to 100%. There are still questions, there are still issues that linger. 
I rattled off some big questions at the beginning uh, of the message today. Questions that, you know, it, it needs to be where faith steps in. We read that Abraham embraced God and embraced his promises because of his faith. Faith is our bridge to certainty. I think a lot of times that we, we, we think that, that we can have certainty. And if we have certainty, then we can have faith. So we, we wait until we, we have all of the answers. And we, we want to wait until we have everything sorted out and everything in its right place. And all our doubts are gone and all uncertainty vanishes. And then at that point, we'll have faith because we've sorted everything. But actually, it's the other way around. In the message version of the Bible, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. It's not that we have proof. Therefore, we have faith. It's that we have faith that leads to certainty. So it's taking that step of courage, of faith, that allows the certainty to come in. There's absolutely no way that Abraham could have been certain, trusting a God he'd never seen to go to a land that he didn't know, and yet he took that step of faith. The next thing that we see in the story is that our attempts to play God are futile. And if we're honest, we've all tried it to one degree or another. God gives the promise to Abram and off he goes. And they wait and they wait and they wait. And God shows up again and he gives them a promise and they wait and they wait and they wait. And God drags them out of his tent and says, look, count all these stars in the sky. Oh, what do you mean you can't do that? Well, that's how many ancestors, that's, that's how many uh, offspring you're going to have. You can't even count them but they wait and they wait and they wait and there's no child coming. So he does the logical thing. He has a child to another woman. Quite common in those days. But even although it wasn't uncommon in those days, it wasn't God's plan. They took matters into their own hands. They tried to force God's hand, and the outcome of that was not what God had promised. And so they waited some more. What do you do when God's actions don't match his character and his promises? Maybe even a harder question is this. How do you know the difference between taking a step of courage and faith and playing God? Because sometimes it's not totally clear which is which. I think God's timing is often incredibly frustrating, and that causes us to wonder what we are supposed to be doing in this moment. And sometimes we can become paralyzed because we don't know if God is asking us to take this step of faith so that I'm participating in this plan, or am I just making it up? Have I decided this is a good idea and I'm going to go for it anyway, regardless of what God says? And so we get kind of caught. What does it look like when you're in that place of trying to decide what is a step of faith and courage and what is actually you playing God? Well, I think there are some questions that can help there. What's your attitude towards God? What do you believe God is, his attitude is towards you? Do you believe he is for you? Or do you believe he is against you? What's your communication with God look like? Have you been obedient to the last thing 
that God asked you to do. Abram and Sarah waited 25 years. They were old, but when they tried to play God, in the midst of their frustrating holding pattern, their attempt was not God's way. But here's what's good about God. Even when we mess things up, His grace still steps in. Because His grace is stronger than our failure. God's grace is stronger than our failure. His grace is stronger than our mistakes. And even though our attempts to play God are futile, no failure is final or fatal. So God still makes good on his promise to Abram, and Isaac is finally born. And the last thing we see in the story is that God's promise always involves sacrifice. In Genesis chapter 22, God tells Abram to take his son, Isaac, the one that he waited so long for, the one who'd been promised for all of those years, to take his son, his only son, the son that he loved so much, and to sacrifice him. And it was only when the knife was poised above the throat of Isaac that God steps in and says, stop, don't do that. I've provided a ram for the sacrifice. Now, there is no way that we can, on a human level, understand or maybe even excuse that story. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrific in so many ways. Of course, we can kind of understand it in terms of, you know, God wants to make sure that we love him more than we love whatever it is that he gives us, that we care more about the promise maker than we do the promises and all that kind of stuff that, that, that we talk about. But when you take a step back into the big picture from this single story, I think what God is doing here is saying, Abraham, if your life is going to be a blessing to all people, if your life is going to be a blessing to all people for all time, then your life is going to have to reveal something of that blessing. It's going to have to give a glimpse of what that blessing will be like for them in the future. It's going to have to give a glimpse of what redemption is going to look like. It has to be a glimpse of the sacrifice that my son Jesus is going to make at some point in the future. God had made this promise that was bigger than big. Your descendants will be so many that you can't count, and I'll bless every family on earth through you. Through the line of Abraham, there will come one named Jesus, who is God in human flesh, who will come personally to the earth, who will come personally into the mess, that will hang personally on a cross and walk personally out of the grave so that anyone who confesses that he is Lord and believes in him will be saved. Through the descendants of Abraham, Jesus has become a blessing to all people in all time, in all places. So when Peter preaches about Jesus in Acts chapter 3, he points back to this promise that was given to Abraham and says, this is it. This is the promise that God gave. When Paul preaches about Jesus in his writings to the Galatians, he references the promise that God made to Abraham and said, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The promise was bigger than big. It couldn't be comprehended at the time. But the way God showed up and fulfilled it is closer than close. Emmanuel, we talked about a few weeks ago, God with us. He came wrapped in the skin of his own creation to subject himself to the cane of his own creation so that he could win back that creation. God extends his invitation based on his purposes, not our perfection. But the experience of those promises also requires us to take a step. And it's often a step of courage, not a step of certainty. God is still bigger than big. And he is still closer than close 
And I would argue that he is as close to you right now as he's ever been. And to you, he is extending that invitation. Not because you're perfect, but because he has purposes that he has ordained for your life. And to follow will take a step of courage today. But I want to invite you to take that step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a good God and that you've invited us into your story to play a role, not because we're good enough or we're clever enough, but because you've ordained purposes for us. God, I pray today for everyone that's here or watching online and needs to step into the story that you're writing. I pray that you would give them the courage that they need right now. Holy Spirit, that you would come close to them and that you would stir their hearts that they would know that you are calling them maybe to places that they've never seen, to trust a God that they've never met. But today will be that moment where, like Abraham, they make a decision to follow you. God, I pray that you would give all of us the courage to say yes to Jesus today. Amen.